This episode of Strange Assembly is brought to you by www.l5rsearch.com. L5rsearch.com is a comprehensive online L5R card database with tools to assist in optimizing your decks, proxying cards, or simply finding out about unusual cards. Once you know what you need, www.l5rshop.com puts cards in your hands quickly and economically. This is Strange Assembly, episode 160, The New Order. So, Donnie, what what do you think the New Order is? Is it the most recent L5R expansion that came out like three months ago now, or is it about the new people who are running L5R, or is it about you uh, abandoning yet another country to just traipse off as a world traveler? Well, I got bored. I mean, I've been here five years, you know. Itchy feet and all that, so off to Australia in a month or two's time. And uh, yeah, that will certainly be a new order for me. The other interesting correlation as a new order, I guess, is the uh, Empress is about to choose her heir, the end of Winter Court. So come February or so, we will know whether Seiken or Shibatsu will be the the new Emperor. That's probably the most uh, literal translation there. Well, and of course, th- theoretically, they might not be the new emperor for decades yet to come, but I, I wouldn't put any money on that. That is James Donathorn Tate. I am Chris Stevenson. You're listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. We are going today to talk about Legend of the Five Rings. Story, tournaments, cards, all sorts of things. Before we get back to the more interesting stuff, we should note that on February 21st, I will be running the Atlanta Cote, and on March 7th, the Donnie will be running the Knoxville Cote, so you should try to come to both of those, I think. Don't you think they should absolutely. come to both, Donnie? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And no excuses not to. Yeah. You can find the information on both of those by going to alderac.com slash forum and looking in the uh, events section. It looks like yours is probably going to be Ivory Strict. Mine is going to be Ivory Arc. That's the way the vote's going. Yeah, I've got a two-to-one vote in favor of Ivory Strict right now, so it looks like that's what's going to be the format. Certainly the guys down in Florida wanted wish I had made it Ivory Strict. So. <laughs> but I saw you had a poster in one of your threads who was like, I refuse to come unless it's Ivory Arc. So who knows? You should all come to both. Big reason for running Ivory Arc is Kaigo Sensei, which was you know released a few months ago, and it's only legal in in Arc tournaments. So uh, uh, I'm busy brainstorming decks for Atlanta that involve Kaigo Sensei to get some use out of it before it goes away. Listen to that, guys, because I hate Fudo, so it it will just be a spit in my eye. Exactly. Yes, that's what I'm aiming for here. You know, yeah, we're Phoenix. Meant to be, you know, hated for what we do, you know. So I, I'm going to turn up there with a Kaigo Sensei deck and drive Chris mad. The Phoenix are supposed to be hated for what you do. Don't we have the Scorpion and the Spider for that? Well, well, no one trusts the Scorpion, but they don't really hate them particularly. And yeah, the, the Spider are definitely, in many ways, the true Phoenix because they're even more hated than we are. But you know, it's a, it, we've got a long, you know, thousand-year history of, of making enemies for really bad reasons, and then getting stopped on in wars. Uh, we're good <laughs> at that. We can we can talk about that if you want. I'm I'm going to say though, it, <laughs> I do want you to know the scorpion actually historically were hated by everybody, and it's been a long time since we had one of these. But programming note, whenever it is that Fred and I 
actually have another one of our sit down and talk about the story episodes, the number one thing on our list is still to talk about the changing perception and role of the scorpion in the story. The thing I always uh, like to note is you probably read this because you're uh you've done the L5R RPG, Donnie, is that if you go back to the first edition Way of the Scorpion book, right near the beginning of the book, there is a whole section that is basically about trying to come up with reasons for why on earth any other samurai would actually be willing to tolerate a scorpion member of the party. Ah. The scorpion were completely distrusted and, and loathed. The whole aspect of the scorpion as being politically savvy as opposed to just, you know, underhanded blunt force blackmail instruments, I think is something that has developed over the over the life of the game, and they have... To be fair, I mean, they've been kicked out of the Empire twice, you know, having done that, it kind of feels like they ought to sort of learn and, and get better at staying around. It's something, yeah. Well, and they were, uh, if you remember Lotus Edition, they were doing the Fate of the Five Rings, which would be launching Lotus Edition, the Scorpion were immune from one of the, like, your clan is dissolved effects. <laughs> it was like, anybody except the Scorpion. If it would be the Scorpion, then it'll be this, it'll be like the second clan instead, and the Scorpion will make sure it's them. Because we're not actually going to, we're not going to dissolve the Scorpion clan. Again. Again. (laughs) (laughs) It's somebody else's turn now. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But after this Kote season, the, uh, yeah, the the Spider may really clench their fist around that title of, of most hated because the story seems to be something like, right, we've been talking about over, Maybe since starting last summer, there was this thing with the icons of oh. the different clans, what was iconic, and so with the story list storyline this Kote season is going to involve either you're picking one of your clan's icons and defending it, but if the the spider win, they can corrupt another clan's icon. Am I recalling that correctly? You are, and there's another interesting twist here, which is that Sean has said that the fate of the spider is going to depend quite heavily on which heir is chosen as emperor. If Shibatsu is chosen as emperor, then that's all great, because that's what the spider are basing all their chips on. But if Saiken is chosen as emperor, then that's going to be bad for the uh, the spider, and they're going to react in ways that I think Sean's term was the other clans won't like very much. So that'll be very interesting to see. They're in a, a funny position. I, I honestly, if, if you had asked me, I I would not have said that they would actually be willing to go back, essentially, on the whole just making the spider a normal clan thing. But they've already done that with this Kote season. When they made the Spider a great clan, one of the big reasons presented for that was to get rid of the notion that there is a faction out there that does not interact normally with all of the story prizes. You you know, you always had these story results that were if anybody wins this, then they achieve some great thing unless the shadowlands wins and then they corrupt the whole mess and they cool. always had to have a different sort of outcome but we're back to doing that with this kote season i don't think it ever really worked quite as well as they intended because for half of the time they were doing that the spider weren't a clan and weren't really accepted and it still didn't really make sense you just ended up with endless stories about some guy from the spider clan who was pretending to be a ronin who got a position and sure but i was not expecting them to go back to the whole the spider are making things and and i gotta say the the spider are 
quite ambitious. Let's see. So Winter Court 4 is just going to decide who the heir is. So are we just allowed to, to talk about secret stuff with, with that sort of thing now? Because I'll say the Spider Clan letter was a doozy. Uh, <laughs> have you read that? The private one, I haven't, no. No, okay, yeah. Ken Pecky has some pretty ambitious plans if Shibatsu becomes the Emperor. Yeah. Yeah, actually, that reminded me, it was you, you're uh, running the L5R CCG user group. I am. And if I recall correctly, one of your questions that went to the the L5R folks and and got a response was like about the role of the spiders fitting in mechanically and and then fitting in storyline wise and yeah so so uh, the, the user group site is on uh, groups.aldrack.com slash user group uh, and we post our questions and the response documents up on there where everyone can see the first question we asked was actually about the spider clan you know but there's quite a lot of detail from the spider players saying you know what's our role in the empire basically there, there was this section on the website saying the spider clan of the unknown which was written several years ago when they were sort of you know still not a full great clan and so on and, and the spider players are basically saying yeah what should we replace this with what what should we be, be known as the phoenix do you know magic and religion and you know the lion of the right hand and the crane of the, the courts and so on what are the spider uh, and, and Sean's answer to that was it was quite uh, cute, really. He said, you know, the spider have no role in the Empire. The Emperor sent them out to be the conquerors to try and get them all killed, and they had the uh, the bad manners to survive that. So, you know, what what, what happens next? And uh, this is where the whole thing about the heirs comes in, that the spider have heavily backed Shabatsu becoming Emperor. Uh, and, you know, if they do, then they've got their plans. But uh, if Saiken wins, there's a good chance that the spider will end up, you know, not being a clan anymore in the not-too-distant future. Uh, I believe they've been promised to, to retain great clan status through the Onyx base set uh, in a year's time. But if Saiken wins, wins the overall uh, uh, throne, then uh, yeah, there's a good chance the Spider will be heading towards Outlaw status pretty quickly. Who knows? The story team obviously will, will, will decide there. But it seems that the air, air decision has a, a much stronger bearing on the Spider clan than everyone else. I mean, for everyone else, it's kind of, you know, which flavor do you, do you want to be in next year? For the Spider, it's do you exist or not, you know? Which has come up before. Yeah, where's this? When you post it up as the spider story in courtesy of Sean, it, it says, Daigatsu Kenpeki has always known that it would take generations before his father's visions of a hante fear the Daigatsu bloodline back upon the throne, but he has accepted that this is necessary. I'm going to tell you that that sentence, based on the uh, the Spider Clan private letter, is not accurate. <laughs> right. Daigatsu Kenpeki... It has not, in fact, accepted that. <laughs> and Daigatsu Kenpeki, in fact, has more ambitious plans than that if Shibatsu <laughs> well, becomes okay, emperor. There, there, there's a whole bunch of us who would love to see the spider abandon the Daigatsu name, which is kind of, yeah, let's take the enemy of the, the Lord of Jigaku, or the name of the Lord of Jigaku, and the, you know, the enemy of the Empire, and so on, as our, as our totem name, and actually take the Hanteo name, because you know, Kenpeki is the last side of the Hanteo. They are, you know, Hanteo is a kami, you know, just as Fu Leng was. Uh, and whereas every other clan has got you know, a Kami's name as one of their families, the ruling family in most cases, you know, the Spider are using the name of the Lord of Hell instead. And you know, there's, there's a, a strong body of feeling that says, hey, you know, they could use the Hanteo name. They've got the uh, descendants there. The Empress recognized that Kampeki was a sign of the Hanteo in fostering him to the Imperial House when uh, Daigatsu committed seppuku. 
you know, so that the recognition, the formal recognition is there. Why not replace the Lagots name with Hentai, you know? Why not make a blatant play to say we are an imperial house? Sure, we've got a clan, but, you know, we, we are pretenders for the throne, fundamentally. Uh, at any given time, if there is a succession wobble, the spider are on the wings there to step in and uh, and, and take advantage. Uh, I think that would give them a very uh, core role in the Empire uh, and would certainly be a lot easier to see what, how they fit in compared to taking Daigatsu's name and uh, yeah, embracing the taint and embracing Jigaku. I mean, if you're going backing away from the embracing the taint I, the, you know, and, and pipe dreams here, I always thought that what they should have done was have Fu Lang you could have had Fu Lang rejoin the Pantheon as a mm-hmm. non-tainted but evil figure and then now the spider would have a commie like everybody else did but of course that, that ship has, has long sailed the thing is that they have two they've got Fu Lang because you know, Daigatsu was the patron or the, the, the Fu Lang was Daigatsu's patron and so on and they've also got Hentai because they're tainted from him so you know, whereas everybody else has one kami that they are straightforwardly descended from, the spider have one they're descended from and one who's their patron. Well, uh, I, I the the whole Daigatsu Hante thing is is overstated. Every clan has almost certainly every clan has somebody in it who's a direct descendant of Hante. That's what happens after a thousand years of people intermarrying. Uh, the sort of notion like nominally the the notion is that he was around and, and he would be the only one because the scorpion killed every single descendant of haunt ai when they did the coup which is you know clearly is not possible well it, it, it just a name isn't just a matter of blood i mean the moto curse storyline is, is a great example of that that you know if you're a moto you're cursed if you're if a moto marries out into another family or, or, or clan then the curse stays around for about three generations, is what we've been told. You know, it's it, not just yeah. the, it's also the name that matters. With Hanteo, it's the same. I mean, you know, the, the imperial house, like any other house, you know, has its heirs, uh, and they inherit the house. And, you know, lesser sons and daughters get married off into other clans, and sure, the blood's there, but they're not actually, you know, unless... By that reasoning, then, you know, in, how are the Daigatsu in any way Hante anymore? You know, they've been... How long has it been since there was actually somebody who was called Hante anything? Well, Daigatsu is the son of one, I believe. Uh, you know, and so... And his son, so it's two generations. You know, I, I well, I, I mean, yeah, there's not going to be a strict... Me- it's one of those things that will happen or not, depending on whether oh, or not yeah. the story team yeah. feels that it's a an interesting story to have that as a, a well, possibility. Well, you say that, but this, this is probably a good time to comment that, you know, the Elf of our team stood up at Worlds and said, you know... Historically, they've made too many mistakes about basically dictating the storyline to the players and not letting players uh, interact with it enough. Uh, and now they are making a conscious effort to really let players have more say in this sort of thing. So if all Spider players stood up and said, hey, we want we want to take on the Hantai name and go in that direction, you've got to think that the, uh, the the story team would listen at this point. Well, um, well, said. well th- there's, there's a couple of things about it. First of all, I don't think what you're talking about is really what they're talking about, because that's not a tournament thing. That's not a player. That's You're now kind of wandering into territory of if a clan complains loudly enough about something, they, they should get it. And there's a balancing act there that whatever your 
overall policy is that the story team has to do, which is you have to listen to and take into account what a clan player base wants, and yet you also have to take into account how that fits into the overall story. You can't just give every clan what it wants. That's sure. not... Rob, Rob, but Rob Vox stood up there in, in Wells and basically likened it to a you know, pen and paper environment on a massive scale where you know, AG is the GMs and, and we're all the players. Think of the clans as our characters. We don't have a perfect say of everything that happens to our characters. You know, the world and, and the GM controlling the world you know, has a say in that. But equally, we do have some say. You know, we, do, we can create and evolve our characters in some, to some level. So, you know, I, I can't say that the Spider-Clan players would necessarily want to adopt the Hantai name and, and go in that direction. But if they did, if that was the majority of the, 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 the player base and they started, you know, recognizing that in their, their tournament results and the, the way they build the decks and so on and, and making it clear that that's the direction they want to go in, I think AEG would listen at this point. Um, My guess would be that the the Hantai name with the things that go along with it would not be something that the spider players would want because part of what is going along with it for you is not only taking that name but then rejecting the taint and rejecting and there are a lot an awful lot of spider clan players who would kind of say that is a very core part of what we are and that you're just blowing up what we want sure, the yeah. clan to be. You know, yeah, I, mean? no, I, I, I think there's, there's two sorts of spider players, I guess. There's one to embrace you know, the new world of the spider, and, and a lot of people have commented that at Winter Court, you know, the players playing Suzumu in particular have really created a spider brand, I guess, that is compatible with the rest of Rokugan, is a genuinely distinct flavor that has value and has, uh, has a place, I guess. Equally, there's a whole bunch of spider players who are fundamentally only players and, and want to you know, stick with corrupting everything and playing big monsters. I think those two flavors of opinion do exist. You know, I'm, I'm glad to hear that the spider are being more productive at this winter court. You know, see, I, I was reminded recently somebody noted that they had been, that I, I had never gotten around to like doing as much as I wanted on the podcast about Winter Court 3, including never sitting down and talking about what I did and what I had stuff, but I I went into Winter Court 3 like looking to interact with the Spider Delegation, and they were just I don't, partially it was homebrews and partially it was what, just what the story team had given them, but they got just a pile of monks for the most part <laughs> yeah, we've got a lot more Suzumu this year, definitely. Yeah, well, they they got assigned a bunch of monks, and then I I think as a group they were much more interested in like being spider and defining what it meant to be spider and coming up with what in their mind were cool spider things to do than they were in actually advancing the spider or or sort of semi-realistically thinking about how you would have to act to, to have other clans actually be willing to deal with you. So, I mean, like I, for example, I think that the... Probably, I, I feel like the most popular spider character at Winter Court 3, from a player perspective, was mm-hmm. Omegawa, because he came up with all these over-the-top training regimen things and how he was horribly <laughs> disfigured and cutting students open in the middle of, you know, that sort of thing, which 
okay, I can see why you'd think that would nifty, but that in no way advances what your clan is trying to do at court. And then it really went downhill for... They kind of announced that really all of their monks were peasants, and mm. and it was really just the whole notion that they were being treated like samurai was a big joke on the rest of Rokugen. Sure. Which is like, oh, so, yeah, I... I remember at some point sending a PM to the being like, please do not send monks to interact with my character. It will go badly. I mean, your choice, mm-hmm. but this is not going to end well if your yeah. peasant shows up to negotiate <laughs> with me. <laughs> I, this is not going to work. I mean, certainly that's not been the case uh, in Winter Court 4. I mean, yeah, there's a heavy Suzumi presence, and they've created a distinctive brand that has you know, had a lot of recognition from other players in character and other character as being, you know, Fun and, and interesting and, and you know, fitting, I guess. Um, sure, you know, the spider are definitely the spider, and there's been you know, the odd lethal duel with the crab and that sort of stuff uh, thrown up there. But uh, the Zoom are doing a good job of being very likable, and you know, as the, as Canon says they should be, while also being slightly creepy and slightly sort of you know, representing a, a clan that a lot of people don't like. You know, we hate the spider, but we like you. You know, uh, so. There was one player who was a sub at Winter Court Three, and I don't run it. They, I don't remember what she called it, it at this point, but it was sort of the trying this notion of being like I follow Bushido and I follow Shurido, so yeah, I am I mean, both going to be honorable, but I'm also going to follow Shurido. And there's actually not a lot of uh, conflict between them, I guess. I mean, Shurido is all about developing yourself, and Bushido is about the way you present yourself to others and the way you interact with others. Um, yes. And and it's possible to do both. Though obviously there is some conflict there in terms of, of where you uh, put your emphasis, I guess. But, you know, determination and courage, for example. I mean, if you have determination, it's easy to show courage. Yeah, and again, there are players exploring that area as well in, in Winter Court 4. Yeah, well, I mean, Shurido... In story, Shurido was by design intended to be like that. You know, you're identifying things. There are, I mean, I feel kind of bad for the crane because something that in the past would have been labeled as a crane ideal perfection mm-hmm. suddenly get gets bogarted as a as a dark virtue. Sure. And so they have to be like excellence or the tainted crane is a tradition. I mean, does Edgy require? You know. <laughs> well, yeah, but you know, public face and all. Yeah, right. I think that ultimately the difference is sort of what the purpose of your actions is. For Shurido, yeah, your your ultimate purpose is to achieve as much as you possibly can for yourself, and these characteristics are a way to do it. Whereas, yeah, Bushido, as you say, is very heavily about interaction and your role in society. And, and and that sort of thing, and so you are. Determination is not a a virtue; is not a goal in and of itself. In making yourself be awesome is not a goal in and of itself. It is how you can serve your lord through doing that. Yeah, a way you serve your lord and and honor your clan and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. So, but I don't know. I, yeah, I hear. I, yeah, so you're you're on the Phoenix delegation. You're running the Phoenix delegation. I'm running the Phoenix delegation. I'm a great team. Yeah, yeah I, is you guys fun? I hear I hear the Dragon delegation, which I'm I'm not doing Winter Court this year. I, I hear the Dragon delegation is uh, having a rough time of it. 
I hear there's a lot more lethal duels, like multiple lethal duels, which we yes. have not had in years past. There were two in one day at one point, uh, and there's certainly been a number going on. In fact, the, the last couple of challenges in the dais, the uh, various senior-level NPCs stepped in to try and uh, de-escalate things a little bit. We'll see whether they're successful or not, but uh, certainly we're, uh, we're cutting down on the player count pretty quickly this way. Yeah, I think I I followed a link about that. That was something like the in a Tomo bureaucrat was Daimyo, skull. In fact. Oh, oh, well, I thought it was I thought a lower a Tomo. Yeah, oh, that was the Daimyo. Yeah, was uh, what trying to delay or disrupt or something the Crane Scorpion Treaty, and then the Crane had issued an honor, were issuing an honor challenge about. Yeah, so so there were there were, there were two challenges in that one uh, one thing. So. A crane challenge in Atomo, and uh, I think the same one was the lion uh, scorpion challenge as well, uh, where the scorpions, uh, the lion spoke in, in support of the petition, sort of, but insulted the scorpion while doing so, and the scorpion delegation had challenged the lion to, to lethal deal as well. Uh, so the same, so in a fairly routine uh, petition declaring a treaty between the crane and scorpion, there were two lethal duels challenged in, in there, and. Uh, the NPCs are stepping in to try and sort it out. So I think the Emerald Champion is talking to the Scorpion and uh, Lion delegations. And last time I checked the thread, the uh, delegation heads of the Lion and Scorpion were arguing with each other in front of their ambassadors and the uh, Emerald Champion. Uh, <laughs> so we'll see how that, that one ends up. <laughs> yeah, it's also like those two clans are going to war in the spring or something, you know. Uh, in the meantime, the uh, Tomo Daimyo invited uh, uh, the challenger to walk through the gardens. Uh, to try and uh, resolve the uh, uh, the other challenge. Yes, yes. For the Tomitoneji is, is ancient. I mean, he was a card back in gold days, I think. You know, two gold, uh, game one on a rent play, Samurai Courtier. Uh, miss him. And he was raised to three gold at one point after I left the game. But, uh, you know, I, <laughs> so, so he's still around and still alive, just about. Uh, his son is plotting to try and take over from him and uh, trying to find uh, people to got him and say, hey, you really should retire. Which uh, I'm sure will go really, de- really well, well for the people involved, but um, definitely, uh, definitely plotting going on there. I think his other son is actually Suzumu Takuan, who's married to the Suzumu Daimyo, Kuroko. Uh, so I think he's actually the son of the Atomo Daimyo, the sort of second son, and therefore not the heir. There's a, a thread with those guys all chatting to each other in the, the Spider Embassy. Not, not, now, if we have learned anything... It's that it does not matter which son you are. You watch out, the Suzume <laughs> are going to win a contest and they're going to take over the Atomo. Will we notice? <laughs> no. Well, I, yeah, as right to some extent, as long as the Atomo or the Imperial families generally are not a player faction, they will and should probably mostly take a background role. There is, as I have commented repeatedly, there's really not that much L5R story time to go around these oh. days. You, you know, you don't want to waste uh, a big protagonist role on someone that's not a clan player base, for the most part. Uh, you know, I mean, it's one thing to have Seiken and Shibatsu, but we, we don't need a bunch of Atomo heroes running around as well. What's interesting, of course, is the Imperial families are a faction at Winter Court. Um, so on the role-playing side, you know, they're oh, a yeah. faction. Even the minor clans have representation as well. Uh, this year, they're ambassadors as part of the individual delegations, and they're kind of the minor clan delegation is kind of uh, 
Oh, they have an embassy, but uh, there's no sort of fixed team there, as far as I can tell. Ah. Uh, do the are there Naga PCs? There aren't. Those are NPCs, yes, right? Those are NPCs. Yeah. So next year, given the Naga are coming back, I'm guessing well, next winter court in two years' time, I'm guessing there'll be PCs involved. <laughs> that. That would be interesting. Like, you're allowed to huh? private message in character because that represents <laughs> communication through the Akasha or I, something? Yep. I don't know. Or you could just have a big thread for that, right? I guess that could be a that would be a thread in, <laughs> in the Naga. Let me see, like, the Akasha, morning, <laughs> day three. <laughs> uh. I'll say that that's all right. You have, to, you have to manage some sort of, some threads like that anyway. I, I remember... I don't know what they're doing for scheduling for Winter Court 4, but I remember with Winter Court 3, there would always be issues with a thread on day 5 stretches out multiple real-life days to the point where all of a sudden you'd be in a thread on day 7 and something would happen in a thread on day 5 that would affect what's happening on day 7. How do you deal with that? So I would always... My evening slots were very frequently filled with, like, you start a conversation with somebody, and then in real time, they finally get to what happens in their, what they're doing earlier in the morning mm-hmm. on day five, and then they have to immediately go and type and have them tell your character in the late <laughs> evening day five thread so that your character can properly respond in, uh, in day seven. Well, because otherwise you end up with silly things like some big thing happens that there's no way that they would not tell your character, like did your their oh, delegation yeah. head about. But yep. now you have to be now you'd have to be ignorant on day seven because of just the time warp stuff that happens with it. So the Akasha thread, I, I suspect, would do a lot of functioning like that. Oh, by the way, <laughs> did, did I mention back on day three? Oh, look, yes, I did. Who knew? Uh, yeah, it, it's it's quite easy to manage that sort of stuff most of the time because you can just, you know, you try and make sure that nothing important happens once the day has ended, as it were. But equally, there's always some threads where you can't avoid that. You're waiting on dice rolls, you're waiting on players to coordinate across the world or whatever. You just yeah, have to be careful future ones. The, the big concern is lethal duels, where if a lethal duel takes a while to get going, you don't know you can post after that point, because you might be dead. <laughs> yeah, you have to be like, I'm just going to wait here, do I die or not? Oh, I'm alive, who knew I was here this whole time? <laughs> Indeed. What of course been fun, I mean, I obviously had a week in the, on the cruise ship uh, doing the L5R cruise last week, so I was completely away from Winter Court for a week. I had my delegation all primed to, to operate without me, and no one died while I was away, so that was a good thing. No, it's it's you've got to pace yourself. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And uh, but I've enjoy, enjoyed doing it. And uh, hey, playing as soon as just a blast, you know. Doing Winter Court is really fun. It's just it really does require multiple hours a day to, you know, fully do it, and that's just a lot anymore. Yep, it is. It's it's a shame. So I don't know. Do they do they have a running tally or anything like that of the the no, the score quite. of each, so, each clan so score? You get score from basically two places. You get score from completing your clan objectives, and you get score from honor and glory gains during court and status. There's a running global thread showing honor and glory and status gains, so you can see how people are doing there. And yeah, shock and horrors. The crane are doing best there, but you can't see how delegations are doing against their delegation goals, or how many points the goals are worth, even the delegations don't know that. 
so we don't know what the overall score is right now you know, between progressive and, and traditionalist. Certainly, looking at the honor glory status thread is quite interesting because you know, we've got a situation right now where of the nominally traditionalist factions, you know, you've got the Phoenix, the Crab, the Lion, and the Scorpion as being you know, on the, the firm traditionalist side. Two of those factions are at war with each other, and there's been a lot of arguing back and forth you know, between the factions and, and all sorts of, of low-grade conflicts. On the progressive side, you've got you know, the Mantis, the Spider, the Unicorn, you know, at the heart of it all. The Dragon are kind of on the middle, not, not really on one side or the other. And the Crane. Uh, and you know, the, the progressive factions have really been you know, supporting one another openly and, and showing a lot more solidarity you know, between the factions there. But if you look at the actual score overall, the traditionalist factions are probably slightly ahead of the, uh, the, the progressive factions right now. Obviously, we don't know what's happening with, with um, uh, objectives, and so yeah, that it, that could be misleading. But uh, you know, the crane are leading, but all the other factions doing particularly well are on the traditionalist side. Yeah, and in terms of the uh, honor glory status gains. So who's ahead in the marry the forgotten third heir object? <laughs> well, because my I, I have not seen all of them. I sure. I don't know, but I would lay money. If not all, then almost all of the clans have an objective of get Iweko Miyaka married into your family. Yes, I think they do. You're right. That is yeah. going to be one objective that one clan is going to achieve total victory in, and every other clan is going to get total failure in. That's that could be a substantial right. point swing. Yeah, that's one clan against you know because this this is you know, four against four with the imperial families and dragon you know, also in there, I guess. I think Dragon are probably progressive, Imperial Family are probably traditionalist uh, to make it five on five. But uh, uh, you know, we don't we don't know what each other uh, are doing just yet. Um, so yeah, I mean, one one faction will win it, and that will give points to that side. But uh, yeah, that means four other ones on their side won't get it either. Are you following that? You know, does does every clan still have somebody in it, or there are some clear favorites, like role playing wise, who have? Uh... I think there's there's a short list developing. Uh, I couldn't tell you everybody on it, but certainly some factions are, uh, have definitely got people very visibly, uh, yeah, making making progress as a princess, and uh, yeah, other factions don't seem to. There've been some interesting developments as well, like uh, in punishment for the imperial delegation head cheating or, or throwing away her trinket in the uh, imperial matchmakers uh, game. The matchmaker threatened to disqualify the leading imperial candidate from the uh, uh, from the running. Yeah, uh, so there's definitely physical games happening there as well. But uh, yeah. we'll see. I bet you can't guess which faction I'd like her to get married into. Uh, the spider. Yes, we need a second <laughs> heir spider married air. into the spider. Yeah, I mean, give them all the hand name and uh, go from there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a very simple sort of fellow. One, my clan is dragon. Two, the cool. Empress used to be dragon. So yep. three, three, I adore Love Letter, and I, although no one will ever admit this in a relevant time frame, I would lay a substantial amount of money that Iweko Miyaka only exists in order to be featured in the L5R version of Love Letter. I think you're right, yes. I think that's why she's not a, not a plausible air candidate, is because all that storyline was decided before Miyaka was ever, ever invented. Yes, and so I, I, loved, I, I adore Love Letter. I, I appreciated being able to do the, the sort of announcement of L5R Love Letter coming on uh, the Strange <laughs> Assembly. So, yep. unfortunately, I'm just 
uh, having heard the re- I haven't heard anything reports about this in specific, but I if it's going like everything else, I I would have to to think that the dragon suitors are not uh, uh are not doing that well. Well, I can't tell you who the dragon suitor is or suitors are, which is probably a good sign that they're not getting particularly far. Yeah. That said, you know, it, it had a lot to read, and I could just be missing the thread. It's entirely possible. Yeah, it's not like I read everything. But uh, just on the Miyaka thing briefly, I mean, I really hope that's the reason, because if not, it's a bloody sexist storyline. Um, to have uh, you know the, the one female child not being a, a viable heir. And, you know, there, there's there's story reason that she doesn't want it, and she's the youngest and all that sort of stuff, but, you know, Let's be honest here. If, if if this was a in the plan from the beginning, it's not a great plan. So I do hope the love letter reason is the uh, is the reason why uh, she popped out late in the story and uh, the story wasn't changed to to accept her. You you had years years right had gone by that we've just heard about these two heirs and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden oh by the way <laughs> princess yep yeah that uh, that's got to be an interesting position because that's that <laughs> that GM uh, has a lot of power I guess <laughs> well that GM is on the story team so okay. Spooky's playing Miyaka so ah well now I know who to bribe <laughs> indeed indeed yes <laughs> no it would have been great fun um, you know it's it's really interesting just seeing everyone go at it really and Obviously, there's minor frictions and so on, you know, people with different views of, of what Rakugan Yetiket actually is and so on, but yeah, generally it's happened worked out really well, and, uh, you know, there's, uh, it's been very interesting seeing how the different factions are positioning themselves right now and just how people are playing their characters. It's been some particularly uh, uh, fun ones. You know what? I, I bet the people who were who started off listening to this podcast were expecting more cards and less from... <laughs> Talk that is, or at least more Kote. We should. I don't know. That's that's just topic things. Yeah. So, what do you think about the? I guess the changes in the Kote form. I mean, briefly for those who don't, you know, meticulously follow everything. Long-standing thing. The big L5R tournament season is Kote season, which is in the spring. It'll run usually from something like the beginning of March through the end of June. Have sixty plus events. And then after Gen Cons and Euro Champs, and you know one of those two taking the role of Worlds, you have this sort of other tournament season that gets ignored a lot and doesn't get the same kind of attendance. And uh, they've been working to, to sort of address that situation. What they've they've done this year is there are now just two Cote seasons. There's Cote season in the spring, and there's Cote season in the fall. But Cote season in the spring is something like 40 tournaments instead of 65 tournaments. Do you think that is going to to let them, you know, finally get the full year tournament flow that I think would really be good for the game? Well, it certainly should rebalance things. I mean, the the point now is that some places will have their annual local event be in the awesome season rather than the spring season. So, you know, one will hope that we'll end up with a, a more balanced uh, uh, attendance pattern i guess uh yeah i see no reason why it won't work but yeah i guess any time will tell yeah i and I, I suspect that a key part of whether or not it works is is how well they follow through on the notion that as a kote season the fall season is going to have its own storyline because even when they've you know, designated this as Cote season and then winter court season or, or something like that. It's always just been a hodgepodge of different events. 
And price support has been weaker as well. Um, you know, the default price support for the winter season has always been weaker. Um, yeah, so, so in the past, you know, dual championships aside, the winter events have definitely been you know, de-emphasized compared to go days, uh, and, and that's changing. So, yeah, as I say, I, I think this should work. Uh, I guess we'll see. But, but don't worry about the fall. Remember, February 21st, Atlanta, March 7th, Knoxville. That's what you should be focused on right now. Absolutely. Big, big house party in, in Knoxville. You know, we have tons of food all weekend. It's my going away party for traveling to Australia. So uh, do come and say hello. <laughs> yeah, like he, you don't know how much this guy has to pay to ship stuff to Australia. He's not going to mind if you just ransack the place. It's, it's okay. <laughs> we might, might even have shipped a bunch of stuff before then. Who knows? <laughs> clear away some extra floor space for all the sleeping bags. There's a lot of floor space already. I think we'll cope with that. I think last last year we did dinner for 25 and had some like 16 extra people staying overnight. So, uh, yeah, there's space here. We can absolutely put people up. Yeah, you will not get that in Atlanta, by the way. It turns out <laughs> that once I got married and, and then had kids, I'm not allowed to have random L5R people stay at the house anymore. So I was told no the last time that came up. <laughs> Oh dear, you're not going to be Team House then. No, no. Because before I had had that, or even before I was running mm-hmm. the Atlanta Cote, yeah, you'd have, you know, somebody's coming in from Colorado or, or coming cool. from some other yep. part of the country, like, oh, hey, can I crash into your place? Sure, why not? Yeah, yeah not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I'm like, do you know this person? Well, uh, I mean, they play L5R, and I've talked <laughs> to them on the internet. Yeah, that's not good enough, it turns out. Uh, where's, where's the fun in that? Yeah. <laughs> We've had a bunch of people stay here, and my wife used to do couch surfing and, you know, travel around the world and stay with people who she only knew on the internet, and, you know, couch surfing as a system gives you the ability to see reviews and, and rate people and so on, so there's a little more, more security than that. But, uh, yeah, the, the, this is very much something that, that we're culturally uh, uh, happy with. <laughs> so, I feel like... The reporting and discussion of winter court season has been particularly re- weak this time around. And maybe part of that's my fault because I haven't been, you know, really doing my usual job of trying to bring things together and post it in one central place. But I think there's just less out there for me to, to try to look for anyway. So I feel like collectively we have less of an idea, especially for strict of what is going to be the thing. So what if, you know, what, what do you think other than, you know, sticking your thumb in my eye with Fudo, <laughs> you know, is there is something new out there for people to run out for arc? There's a lot of meta in the last couple of sets. Is there, you know, is there a hot thing that the people should watch out for? You think for strict, for strict, I think the summer, both Scorpion and Izuki looks pretty good. You know, Dishonor has a tough time, in the strict format overall, but with Arc, you've still got all the strong cards from you know, before the, the turnover. Uh, I, did, I was on the cruise, I say, last week, and uh, Brian was playing his Scorpion Dishonor deck in strict, uh, and actually that's pretty solid now. So the fact that you know, Scorpion Dishonor has come of age in strict suggests it's going to be really quite scary in Arc, <laughs> uh, given the struggles it had early on. So I think that's one of my decks to watch, and uh, I'll be building it for my wife, and uh, we'll see how well it works. So that's, that's you know one area I'm, I'm definitely aware of. 
there's been lots and lots of new senses added in the last couple of sets, and I've mainly been focusing on them as they were added in terms of, you know, how do they work in the strict format, because that's what I've been playing, you know, as in the Oracle of Air in Malaysia, for example, which is a, a strict tournament. But most of those actually have quite solid support from pre-Ivory as well. So, you know, let's take Lion Ancestors, for example, which is a perfectly decent, strong, top-tier deck in strict. If you go back to Ark, you get a couple of personalities, a Destined 3 personal and a 5 gold Shigenja, and a 5 gold 2 personal on her, but creates an ancestor when she enters play Shigenja. Yeah, those are both really solid adds to a, uh, to a strict deck. You also get a few extra uh, bonuses for the gold scheme, like Suana Dojo. So, you know, uh, and again, uh, the Kitsune deck uh, has some good adds there. The uh, Suzumu deck, which is almost there in strict, has a whole bunch of extra good personalities in Ark, and again, the gold scheme advantages there. So, you know, I think Ark has got an awful lot of options that, that will play well and, and be perfectly viable and good choices. Will there be something really broken and, uh, and uh, uh, unplayable? Well, uh, long-term fruition, I was really hoping they could play up the Fudo ring. I read it says specifically non-Fudo. Otherwise, <laughs> I'd have broken Kago Sensei straight up. Uh, <laughs> that was my first attempt. Hey, look, they, they actually caught that. They did Hooray. catch that one. Curses. Uh, <laughs> foiled again. Uh, and I, I think there probably is a fairly blitzy set of things out there. I mean, in Strict, one of the stronger decks is kind of the Crane Swarmy Blitzy deck, and Lion can do something similar where you just you, know, you go first and you throw a bunch of cheap dudes with decent force and cheap followers at people, and just throw a lot of force out there. Strict uh, Arc has a few more decent options for dealing with that, you know, a few more sort of dual type stuff and so on. But uh, <coughs> I think it's still a uh, an area that we're uh, watching out for. I mean. In the Atlantic last year, I played a Lion Blitz deck um, in Ark, and that yeah, that worked then, so it's going to work now with three more sets. There isn't that much straight-up method to Blitz. So yeah, I think I think there's a lot of strong decks out there. I haven't worked out what the strong one is yet, but there's a lot of fun to be had as well. I mean, there's, there's, yeah, I haven't even mentioned Ray Sensor yet, which obviously as a Phoenix player is uh, particularly attractive to me. But finally, we've got enough stuff to make Ray Sensei work, you know. Do I play it as honor? Do I play it as military? Well, who knows? But, you know, I, I think everything, every theme in Ivory, all the Sensei, do now have viable decks around them. And it'll be very interesting to what people come up with uh, for Atlanta. Bye-bye, four gold holding theme. Sad face. <laughs> On the bright side of all the four gold, the whole four gold holding thing going away, I, I feel like the fact that those ha- are evaporating is somewhat of a vindication of my general notion that that one's default holding scheme should just be like playing with four gold holdings because they're so much more efficient from a deck construction standpoint. Than, the, the trade-off uh, is that if you go for a three gold sensor, you can play all three for threes uh, and, and all yes. sort of stuff. And if you're playing yeah. four gold, then you have a slightly less reliable gold scheme. You're playing you know, two for twos mainly, plus clan holdings. And yeah, that's got... Definitely the chance for higher production, but also the less chance of seeing your full 16 gold plus uh, in the first couple of turns. You need a lot of holdings, a lot of holdings, if you're relying on two for twos and you actually want to end up with 16 gold. It's it's Hard. really quite a few. Yep. So in, in addition to, to Cote season coming up, at the start of Cote season, we'll still be dealing with Ivory Arc and Ivory Strict, but we now have been told that March 27th will be the legality date for 20 festivals with sometime in March, 
being the release date for 20 festivals, which is kind of what we thought it was going to be all along. Mm -hmm. They originally posted the Ivory product, uh, not the Ivory, the 20 festivals product page, and it said March, and then they took it down like an hour later. (laughs) Uh, I guess other than, you know, an obvious thing like Coils of Madness not being legal, anything you're particularly looking forward to out of 20 festivals of what we know or anything that you're really hoping... Does that answer your question? <laughs> uh, we have a new stronghold. Other than the stronghold. Really other awesome. than the stronghold. <laughs> there's, there's stuff in 20 Festival other than the stronghold? <laughs> well, I, you're not, not, much, not much that we've seen, but yeah, so is there... Yeah, you're too... You you are doing a wild swing on the stronghold front, man. Definitely. So, I mean, I, I've learned to use the Phoenix stronghold, but I've played whole decks this arc. I mean, for two or three quarters this season, I played a Phoenix Yojimbo deck with one spell and no keyhose. So my stronghold basically said, bow your Shigenja to look at the top three cards of your deck, put them back in the same order. <laughs> so, yay. Uh, which was, you know, if you played duels, it's not bad, but I wasn't playing duels, so, you know, it wasn't even good for that. You know, scout what I was going to draw, I guess, which wasn't useless, but was definitely uh, underwhelming. Uh, and now I get a, a stronghold that, you know, I'm, I, what I'm really looking forward to, the first deck I'm going to build with 20 festivals, Suikihime Sensei, to make Fazumu Takaman part of the Phoenix Clan, and blow him up repeatedly and bring him back all the time for killing people. Yeah, Takaman really is a perfect Phoenix. He blows himself up to kill someone, I and mean, that's exactly what the Phoenix do all the time. So, yeah, he's definitely going to get painted orange and, uh, and, and drafted. There you do, yeah, but uh, you, you do need to paint him orange before you can use him to put the Ring of Phoenix into play. But that's what Hime Sensei does. You know, it paints him orange. So you know, and what's more, if you have, if you bring the first one to play. So you you bow the Sensei in the density phase. You make him Phoenix. You buy him. He's Phoenix and Spider now because it just adds the thing. It's not like as a field. It doesn't remove his Spider Clan. So he can still blow himself up to do his thing. So he goes into battle. He blows himself up. The following turn, you flip another one in your provinces. You can paint that one as well because your other one is dead and not in play right now. And in Dynasty, you can buy the one from your provinces and the one from your dead pile. And you've got two of them now. And when one of them blows up, he gets you one honor as well. So, uh, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to playing Jane Takoan and uh, having fun exploding Phoenix uh, uh, fun. I think we discussed when she came out, or maybe I'm misregalling, Tsukihime Sensei is one of those things that it, it has the feel of something that accumulated more and more restrictions as playtesting went on, because without them it was broken. Yep. Uh, <laughs> And I mean, you know, from an economic point of view, it was fine in Ark where you had the six gold courtiers who bad for three gold, because basically you could pay people, pay courtiers out of clan, and get the gold back from playing ones who made gold. So, you know, it basically gave Phoenix a straightforward courtier option, and, you know, Dragon could play a full courtier option, that sort of stuff. In Strict, without those courtiers, you're taking quite a big gold hit to basically have more options. But yeah, it's quite difficult to build a, a viable courtier deck off a, of a three gold scheme without the acceleration from something like the uh, the Spider Sensei. So what the Phoenix Stronghold does is it says, well, actually, the painting them with your clan trait is now worth more than just you can proclaim them and not pay two extra for them. It also means you can now get them back from the dead as well. So I, the first thing I did is I went through a list of all the courtiers who have entering play abilities, like either destined to draw a card or yeah, you know, some of them like you know, there's a there's a love letter one for Crane, has courtesy, game one honor, and that sort of stuff. And yeah, you know, there's a uh, there's a few other fun entering play effects there. Uh, and just saying, well, okay, what what can you abuse here? How many courtiers can you play that when they die can come back and repeatedly do something fun and interesting for you? 
so you know it opens up a whole new avenue of deck building options there which you know that's that's what phoenix is all about so i'm definitely in favor of that the love letter people that's one of the bummers uh, Miyaka wedding, uh, you know, and clan affiliation being determined through winter court is that mm-hmm. I can't do something like play a love letter deck at a cote to try to demonstrate the importance of this <laughs> to my clan. I mean, True. I can still play a love letter cote, but you know, what, what am I supposed to represent at that point? Hello, married member of another clan. <laughs> ah, ah. Power of love, Chris. The power of love. Well, I guess we uh, we took a more of the, the uh, I guess, allotted time than I had anticipated with our, our random babbling about the forum, but I, I still have limits on, on how much editing I can do. So let's see, is there any any other L5R-related topic you had a piece that you wanted to be heard on that you can't through the user group that you're running, I don't know, or something? Well, I touched it briefly earlier, but I'll, I'll just add a bit about the user group. I mean, the, the purpose of the user group really was just to improve communications back from the player base to AG. Um, and, you know, we, we thought of this and came up with this at the same time as AG were doing a bunch of other things to try and basically open their channels wider and, and hear more of what the player base was actually thinking and feeling. Um, so it's, it's you know, one of a number of initiatives along those lines. We, we sent our first feedback document in in December, and uh, we've had our responses back on that. Yeah, it is a mixed bag. There was some good stuff in there, and uh, you know, definitely it was good to see them addressing some of the stuff that they raised. There were some fairly bland answers as well that just you know didn't really add much for us, which is fair enough. You know, didn't expect to get a, a perfect uh, uh, response the first time around. Shortly, we're putting together our, our second feedback document. I'm planning to do that sort of February time frame. Yeah, if you have uh, questions or concerns or comments about Alpha Var that you want to uh, to get raised, uh, get in touch. We have our forums on groups.alderac.com slash user group, or you can contact any of us who are on the user group uh, and uh, present your feedback directly. Uh, and we'll happily uh, incorporate that and uh, uh, package that up. It's kind of weird. To some extent, some of the, the answers that are, or portions of answers that are, uh, I appreciate the most are when they actually just tell you you're wrong. Sure, yeah. Like you guys, one of your suggestions was, hey, maybe bring back the watch list. And Reese is like, we used to have that. It didn't work at all. Why, why would we do that again? I mean, he says it a little bit nicer than that. but Yeah, I mean, it, it, the, the, the purpose of the user group feedback is not to dictate to AG what they should do. It's to express areas where we, the player base, have concerns and hopefully do this in a constructive way with suggestions of how those concerns could be addressed. Honestly, I don't care whether they take our suggestions or address that feedback another way. I'm totally comfortable with them doing other things that, you know, resolve that feedback. In many ways, I'd prefer it if the, the solutions are ones that they came up with. Really, what I'm trying to do here is just, you know, raise flags where we see concerns uh, and try to just help AG see what people worry about right now. Yeah. Since this is something that this was one of your sort of one of your topics, and it's something that I've bloviated on on the the forums and such, one of your suggestions was please go back to technical wording of cars oh. instead of plain English. And their response it was basically, well, really, the whole plain English thing has not been what the cause of the problem was. It's been other things, and. 
inclined to think that they're mostly right. There have been some things where they have tried to make a wording be plain English. I, I think actually, for the most part, when they failed at making something plain English, it's because they made something not be plain English, but they just tried to make something be short. Mm-hmm. Like the whole thing about cards that you can only use on other players' turn, but the ability doesn't just say use only on another player's turn. It, instead, it says, like, if it's another player's turn, this happens, but you would never know by looking at the card that you just are not allowed to take the action mm-hmm. on somebody else's turn. But but I, I do think that the right that there have been a lot... Not that they phrase it this way exactly right, that there have been a lot of wording issues with cards... Oh, they, they acknowledge openly they've been a lot of technical errata more than they liked. Uh, yeah, so, changes yeah. into to cards. And what specifics, if any, do you think stand out as far as things that under the current system cause wording problems? For example... Well, I, I'll, I'll, I'll pull a big one out. I mean, okay. it's the whole... The lack of costs other than the gold cost and the bow thing. Yeah, there are some things where you do something to do something else, which kind of introduces a fake cost there. But we had a real clarity in Emperor Edition of what was a cost, and if all these things were met, then you played all the effects, or as many as you could. Uh, Ivory is, is less clear in that regard. Uh, you've got two things that can be that are costs and you have to achieve to start with. Then you've got targeting is required, so you've got an extra thing to, to be concerned about there. And then you've got the whole do X to do Y aspect of it. So, yeah, for more complex cards, you end up with something that's really non, non-intuitive at all. Um, not a big one, I guess. I wish, I don't know, it's kind of straight. I want to say, like, I wish people got it more about the, about when they used to have the costs separated out. Uh, I mean, like, getting rid of the whole performing thing, I think, was generally good. Yeah, I agree. But... You know, I always look back at Magic, I'm like, Magic had basically the exact same delineation of cost versus effect that L5R used to have, which is stuff in front of colon, cost, Mm -hmm. stuff after colon, effect. Mm -hmm. I don't know why that seemed to continue to cause problems at L5R. I don't know if it's because you had ability keyword, you know, battle or open or whatever, colon, costs and performing, colon other stuff, but it's it's interesting to put that. It, it feels to me like the single most weirdness-producing thing is when they try to do interrupts that are effectively responding to things coming Total. into play. Instead of being a response to it coming into play, you actually have to declare it before the thing comes into play, and there have to be all these weird exceptions. and yeah, After the action recruits or whatever... Yeah, and you can play it in any action, and if the action doesn't recruit or whatever, then it doesn't do anything. It's sort of, yeah, that's yeah. Ultimately, the whole question of how do you word cards is actually one of three important legs on which L5R's comprehensibility stands. So yeah, that's obviously an important one. How do you actually write the cards? But a second really important one is how complex are the cards you're trying to do? I mean, let's take victory through reference as an example now. Some people don't like Victory the Reference because it you know, can remove cards from the game that are important to some strategy. Some people don't like it because it kills Shigenja, at least until 20 festivals. Um, but the uh, uh, the thing I don't like about it is there's just too much on it. It tries to do too much. Uh, and so that means you sort of 
you create a card that's inherently complex and it's hard for someone to understand, no matter what wording scheme you use, what that card actually does. So that's the second leg. The third leg, and the one that they're, they're actually saying they're going to address, is you know, rules team to design team communication, where there's clearly been some issues there in the last year, and they're doing an overhaul there to try and address that and make sure that you know, rules and design are more joined up and we end up with uh, you know, left hand talking to right hand, as it were. Yes. Yes, different kinds of complexity. All yep. Right. You can you can go listen to Morrow's Drive to Work podcast. He talks about complexity all the time. <laughs> well, and that's one of them, right? That's one of the things that they it, the whole common versus uncommon versus rare thing probably matters less in L5R because L5R probably has proportionally a lot fewer casual players than Magic does. You're kind of either like whole hog or not. More so, I'm, I'm guessing for L5R, but they've got this, you read this big distinction about, you know, this is a common card. Sure. It, for the most part, should not be doing really complicated things. We, you know, we need to try to do as much as we can with, with fewer words, fewer words literally, if possible, you know, more clear concepts, and then onboard complexity, which is, L5R just explodes. <laughs> uh, Magic's onboard complexity, so that's basically already gone. But for Magic, they do things like, well, you know, at common, you try to do what? What do they call them? Virtual vanilla creatures, things that do something when they come into play, but then don't have a bunch of funky abilities after that. So huh? they they do something more, but then you don't have to track. You know, trying to push the complexity of the game more into making more into higher rarities, and then more into making strategic decisions rather than just remembering what all the interactions of all the nonsense on the board is. And of course that whole system that they do that as by is called is called New World Order, so yet another <laughs> New Order reference. Well done. There we go. See, that's such a good line. We should end there. Yes, that's it. Come full circle. We're done. <laughs> you, Drop uh, Mike. Yes, uh, thanks for coming on, Donnie. Thank you, Chris. Always a pleasure. You've been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can check us out at www.strangeassembly.com. While you're there, you can go to the RSS feeds and subscribe to the podcast, or you can subscribe on iTunes. If you visit us on iTunes, we always appreciate it if you rate or review the podcast. That makes it easier for other people to find us. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at Strange Assembly. And you can also contact me directly. I'm Chris at strangeassembly.com. I always like to hear from our listeners and readers. But until then, for James Donathorn Tate, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly.